Brian asked me to make the announcement that there will be a teacher's meeting next Sunday at 5 here at the building. So all those who are teachers, please, uh, please be aware of that and plan to be present for uh, that teacher's meeting next Sunday afternoon at 5. You know, one of uh, George H.W. Bush's, the uh, 41st president, if I recall correctly, of the United States, one of his uh, favorite words that he often used and is known for was the word prudent. And uh, at times he was known for saying whatever it was he was talking about, it wouldn't be prudent. It wouldn't be prudent. And prudent was a favorite word of his. But I'd like for us to think about that word tonight, the word prudent, and see how it is used in Scripture and how it applies to the situation in which we find ourselves here at White Oak. We are under the direction of hopefully a group of prudent men. We no longer have an eldership. And this congregation is being directed by the men of the congregation. And it's absolutely imperative that we be the kind of men that we should be in carrying on the work here at White Oak until such time as elders can be re reappointed. And we certainly hope and pray that that time will come and come sooner than, than later because that's God's plan for the church is to be overseen by elders. But I'd like for us to think about the definition of prudent We'll look at Webster and what he says about it, but we're more concerned about how the Scriptures use this word and some characteristics of prudent men, the kind of men that we certainly would strive to be, all of us here at White Oak, as we continue to go forward in the work of the Lord here in the congregation. If you look at Webster's definition of prudent, it is a word, he says, uh, marked by wisdom or judiciousness shrewd in the management of practical affairs, marked by circumspection, being very circumspect in other words. But it's interesting when we look in the scriptures for this use of the word prudent as it is translated in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament as well. And in the Old Testament, we find in the book of Proverbs several passages that utilize this word prudent generally in a very positive way. For example, in Proverbs 13, 16, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. You look at Proverbs, 20, or Proverbs 12, 21, no grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. The righteous, those who are prudent. But let's think about it from the standpoint of the New Testament, and it's really, for the most part, an interesting contrast. When you look at the word prudent in the New Testament, it is generally used in a negative way. Look with me at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25. In Matthew 11, at verse 25, there Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Now, it's obvious in that context that prudent is being used in a, in a negative sense. That is, those who are wise in their own eyes, Jesus had in mind there. The same is the case when you took it, uh, look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. And in Luke's uh, record here at verse 21, 
In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. Again, this is Luke's account of, of what we've just read. That you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. In those two passages, it is clear that the word prudent has reference to those whose wisdom or whose intelligence is the wisdom of the world and that which is not in any way connected to the true wisdom from above. And then we'll look at one other passage in the negative sense, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse uh, 19. We'll go back to verse 18 to gain the context. There Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Then verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. When he says, I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent, it's obvious there that the prudent in this context are those who are wise in their own eyes, uh, too smart for their own good, so to speak. That wisdom of the world. So in those three passages, the context is clearly a negative one. But then look with me at Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13 and uh, verse 7, and this is Paul's first missionary journey, Paul and uh, Barnabas, and they are on the island of Cyprus, and they have encountered a certain man there named Sergius Paulus. And this is the description of Sergius Paulus. We go back to verse 5 of Acts 13 for the context. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. That's John Mark. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now here's the description of Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus, he says, an intelligent man, as the New King James renders it. The King James there says, a prudent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Then we read on, but Elements the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, from Christianity. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, and that's the first time we find him called Paul, incidentally, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind and see, seeing the, not seeing the sun for a time, and immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now that's Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer. Now we're back to Sergius Paulus, though, in verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So here is the one positive use of prudent, as the King James translated, intelligent, as the New King James renders it, in reference to this proconsul, Sergius Paulus. And it is that kind of prudence that we want to concentrate upon tonight. Prudent, being prudent men in the positive sense. And I trust that I am speaking tonight to you prudent men whose wisdom and whose intelligence is keeping with the revealed will of God. That's where the true wisdom is found. And to men who base their decisions upon a proper study and application 
of the word. That's the only way in which the word prudent can possibly be used in a positive sense in which one is prudent as his faith is based in the word of God and not in the wisdom of men. And so the scriptures use the term in both the positive and negative sense. Let's look at it positively tonight as we ask this question. What are the characteristics of the prudent men? If we are to be prudent men, what are the characteristics that describe prudent men? Let me suggest, first of all, that prudent men are men who are perceptive. Proverbs thirteen sixteen. We go back to that passage we looked at a moment ago. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. Every prudent man, everyone who is prudent in the proper sense of the word, acts with knowledge. He gathers the facts. And it's interesting that the word prudent that is used in every instance we cited from the New Testament, the word prudent is from a word that means to synthesize. Uh, Seneto, uh, uh, synetos, I believe is the Greek word. Synetos, sin, sin, synthesize. We get the idea of the synthesis there. And the idea of the word or the meaning of it is the one who is truly prudent will synthesize or bring together all of the relevant correlating facts of a matter. He will gain all of the facts. He will correlate the facts. He will bring them together and base his conclusion on a proper examination of all the facts. Philippians 1 and verse 9, Paul makes a statement here to the Philippian church that is relevant to this term prudent. There he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge and all discernment. Discernment indicates perception. And a prudent man is one who is perceptive. He is one who brings together the relevant facts, discerns those facts, and forms a conclusion. Prudent men are perceptive. They are discerning. But secondly, prudent men are also men, obviously, who are purified. And the passage from Proverbs twelve twenty one that we looked at a moment ago reminds us that no grave trouble will overtake the righteous but the wicked shall be filled with evil. And when we look at the New Testament admonition regarding purity, Jesus places a blessing in the great Beatitudes in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount upon those who are pure in heart, and says of them, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. James in James 4, verses 7 through 10 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Cleanse. There's purification. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. There's a characteristic of the prudent. Purity. Purity based upon a recognition of the impurity that is characteristic of those who are in sin, and the only relief from that impurity is to purify one's soul by humbling himself in the sight of the Lord and letting him lift us up. James 5.20 reminds us, 
Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Purification is a premium for the prudent man. But also, thirdly, prudent men are men who purpose. Proverbs 22 and verse 3. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Prudent men foresee evil and hide themselves from it. The simple who are oblivious to the dangers around them pass on and, yes, suffer the consequences many times. You know, when I think of purposing, I think of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, as Daniel was in that precarious position, having been brought into Babylonian captivity, young in age, one who obviously was deeply troubled by the change of circumstances of the royal family, one of the first captives taken into Babylon, put in a situation where he was told, you will eat this food, you will drink this wine, you will prepare yourself to be the kind of servant that the king wants among those whom he has chosen. And he and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they are perhaps better known, were all faced with a very, very difficult decision to make. But Daniel 1.8 says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the king's wine. He was a prudent man, one who was truly wise, one who was truly intelligent. And yes, he was blessed with the miraculous gift of the interpretation of dreams. And he had God's Spirit upon him. But beyond that, he was one who had prepared himself so that when the circumstance arose that challenged him to the very depths of his soul, because he had purposed in his heart, he was prepared for that challenge. Prudent men are men who purpose. And then prudent men are also men who are pruned. If we are prudent, we understand the importance of being pruned. Proverbs 15, 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. Listen to it again. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. And when we come to the New Testament, there's no better passage along the line of prudent men being those who are pruned than John chapter 15 beginning at verse 1, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman, or the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, he says in verse 8, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you shall be my disciples. Bear much fruit. But the bearing of fruit is directly related to being pruned, disciplined, at time chastised, if you will, or the allowing of chastisement so that we can become stronger and actually bear more fruit as a result of being pruned. Indeed, pruning is a part of the Christian life. And indeed, there are things that occur in our lives, there are things that occur in our congregation that are not the things that we had planned for, not the things that we had hoped for, and circumstances change. And some of those changes can be described as a pruning. And therefore, we respond to it as God would have us respond to it, and we go forward, hopefully, ultimately stronger. Finally, prudent men are men, not only, as we have said, who are perceptive and who are purified, men who purpose and men who are pruned, but finally, prudent men are men who are perfect. That's right, prudent men are perfect men. And you know I don't mean in the sense of sinlessness because that's an impossibility. But I do mean in the sense of maturity. I do mean in the sense of blamelessness. I do mean in the sense of spiritual soundness. And again, we go back to the book of Proverbs, to Proverbs 14 and verse 15. And there the writer says, The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. He's matured. He's matured to where he understands and considers well his steps. He is circumspect, as Webster defines it. And that particular part of Webster's definition ties in with the scriptural definition. He is circumspect. He watches his steps. He considers them. Ezra is described in Ezra 7 and verse 10 as one who had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's what we need men to do. We need men in every congregation to prepare their hearts to seek the law of the Lord, to do the law of the Lord, and to mature in their study to be able to teach the law of the Lord in Israel. In this case, obviously, in spiritual Israel, in the church. Again, you go back to Daniel 1, and you see a beautiful example of it in a young man who had indeed prepared his heart and ultimately was perfect, that is, mature and whole. And oh, what an influence he had in the kingdom of Babylon, the greatest kingdom of his day. And so our walk, our steps are to be directed no longer like the steps of those in the world, but as mature, perfect, prudent, Men, whole, mature, sound. Ephesians four seventeen and 18, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated 
from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Prudent men are not blind in heart, but perfect in heart. Not sinless, but whole. And so tonight as we think about the prudent men who are directing the work of the White Oak Church, let us determine that we will constantly be known, characterized as men who are perceptive, pure in heart, purposeful, pruned to be more fruitful in the kingdom of God and perfect, complete and whole and prepared to serve God in whatever way we can. Tonight it is for certain you cannot be characterized as a prudent man if you are not a Christian. And to be a Christian, one must believe that Jesus is the Christ, repent of one's sins, confess Jesus to be the Christ, and be buried in baptism for the remission of sins. That is the prudent course, the only one that can bring you into covenant relationship with God and Christ, allow you to rise from that watery grave of baptism as one who will consider his steps and move toward a maturation of faith that will indeed one day allow you to be described as prudent in every sense that we've discussed it tonight and as the scriptures describe the truly prudent man. If you need to come home to your first love as one who is not prudent, who has lost his or her way and needs to be restored to your first love, we plead with you to do that as we stand to sing to encourage you. Will you come?